1: Hello and welcome to the Her and Him Podcast. I'm Dale.
0: And I'm Tamara.
1: And when two theologians get married, what you get
0: is podcast.
1: Well, this is now the second time we're recording this intro because you were wearing a really loud jacket and every time you would move your arm for emphasis, it sounded like someone rustling a bunch of leaves.
0: (laughs) And already in the intro, I was moving my arms quite a bit. I didn't realize how much I talk with my hands.
1: You were doing like your power walk. Like,
0: yeah. Pht, pht, pht. With my, what are the, what are those sweatsuits called that are really loud?
1: A windbreaker? windbreaker. The wind never stood a chance against you.
0: Never. Recording, and it's actually however, windy today. See? It is. It was appropriate. <laughs> but it's not a windbreaker, so never mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we digress.
1: So forget everything that we said. It's forget all irrelevant. Forget everything
0: that we said because it wasn't true. Sorry. I was sharing lies.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, so far off to a good start on this episode. Let's talk about the earth.
0: What part of the earth would you like to talk about today, Dale?
1: Just the whole thing that it is covered in pollution and the ice caps are melting and we're all going to die.
0: Well, I don't agree with you.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about that whole situation.
0: That whole thing because... Surprisingly, not everyone agrees about what's going on with our earth right now <laughs> and
1: what our role. It's strange that the 7.6 billion people don't all agree. Yeah. on where we're going. Such is life. <laughs> so today we want to talk about environmentalism and Can you say that word
0: one, one, one more time?
1: Environmentalism. Okay. It sounded funny the way you said it. Okay. And how Christians should feel about
0: environmentalism environmentalism
1: (laughs) and environmental concerns. And this topic actually feels pretty relevant right now for a couple of different reasons. Just some things that are going on in the news in recent weeks. Uh, One is that the United States just re-entered the Paris Agreement.
0: And not everyone is happy about that.
1: Right. People are upset that we care more about people in Paris than we do in Pennsylvania, did <laughs> <laughs> you just see all those tweets? Like, oh, you care more about the people of Paris? Yeah, I was which, like that's just where they were signed. That's yeah. not.
0: It's not all about taking care of Paris. <laughs> 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 oh man! Well, that's because we reentered into the Paris Agreement yeah, under w- our new president.
1: Yeah. So, the, for those who don't know what the Paris Agreement is, it's it's fairly complicated. But this is kind of like the. The highlights level of it. It's this agreement between 189 countries with the goal of kind of staving off climate change. And within the agreement, each country develops kind of an individual plan for how we can uh, lower greenhouse gas emissions and use new technologies and change things in order to reduce the amount of greenhouse gas that we have. And those countries come back together. And they talk about all those things and they start to set more and more ambitious goals for creating more environmentally friendly countries with the hope that if a bunch of nations hop on the bandwagon with this, that we will have a cleaner earth as a result of it. And so we were one of the the founding signers of the Paris Agreement, but President Donald Trump had withdrawn us from the agreement. Because he said it was too costly. Uh, You know, it it costs a lot of money to be invested in these kinds of things. It required for us to impose too many regulations on our own people. Uh, And really, at the end of the day, uh, China is going to pollute anyways. And so they're going to outpollute us by however much. And so what are we really changing was his kind of narrative. Plus, they are going to get ahead of us economically because they're not, you know, handicapping themselves with regulations to help the environment. So from an economic standpoint, it's a bad deal for us. He pulled us out. Then President Biden comes in and he puts us back in. And that just happened in in the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. And as you can imagine, not everyone is excited about us re-entering into the Paris Agreement. Um, some people believe that it's foolish and that it is
1: the worst deal in the history of deals possibly ever.
0: Well, people just think it's compromising our care for other humans and there's certainly an argument to be made there and what we want to talk about is how do we think through this biblically and how do we think about this as Christians and how do we actually apply what we've thought through into our lives so it's about more than whether or not we believe we should be in the Paris Agreement, it's how that trickles down into our lives and how that affects what God has called us to do, which is love your neighbor. So is caring for the earth hurting our neighbors? Is it benefiting our neighbors? What is it doing? And how do we really know? So,
1: Yeah, I mean, and you brought up the issue of, of caring for people. And so it sounds good that we're part of the Paris Agreement's Um, But I mean, but there is a point to the cost of this and even President Biden, his some of the executive orders that he signed that have kind of uh, sought to curtail our use of non-renewable resources uh, have cost jobs. And so there's that side of things. I think another major kind of plot point where this is coming up currently is in the, the whole thing that's going on in Texas right now. Um, over the past couple of weeks with the, the harsh weather that they've been experiencing and our hearts go out to them because people have uh, lost power. They have run out of water. They have uh, frozen and, and many of them have suffered greatly and have died. Uh, but it's interesting how the environmental conversation comes into a crisis like that with people, you know, with, you know, decidedly their own agendas kind of pointing to what the causes of that crisis, uh, that energy crisis Uh, in Texas might have been.
0: Yeah, and a large part of there being a crisis at all is because this is weather that Texas doesn't experience. So it's weather they weren't prepared for in many ways. But because of that, obviously, there were breakdowns in systems. And now you have two sides, as there always seems to be two sides. Um, At least. Right. We're two sides of the argument where they're trying to figure out why did our system break down?
1: Right, yeah. So if you're on the right side of the aisle, you will look at, say, a lot of the wind turbine energy that Texas has been using and utilizing that renewable energy and can say, see, this is proof positive that, you know, these renewable sources of energy uh, not only don't work, but when a crisis like this happens, it actually becomes dangerous because now the grid went down. There are people who have no power in freezing cold weather. And there are people who are literally dying. Whereas if you're on the left side of the aisle, you can say it's not an issue of the wind turbines. It's an issue of the fact that Texas wasn't on the national grid. And so they didn't want to pay you know, into the regulations that would be required if you want the state to be on the national grid. And so they couldn't pull power from other states when there was an energy crisis. And so then they were basically left up the creek. And the reason was that was because... Basically, the the energy companies didn't want to have to cut into their profits to pay into these regulations to be on the national grid. And so they'd say it's not an issue of using renewable energy and that not working. It's an issue of unfettered capitalism and prioritizing greed over caring for the people. And so I feel like in the environmentalism conversation, those are always kind of the two sides of the discussion. Where, on one side, you can say that, hey, we need to care for the earth. We need to uh, stop climate change. We need to find renewable ways and sustainable ways to live. And that's going to require some regulation. I mean, it's going to require, you know, everyday people doing their part, but it's going to require regulations, legislation. And on the other side of that, You'll have people saying, but that's going to hurt the economy because it's going to slow innovation. It's going to slow kind of enterprise, and that's going to be a bad thing for the economy. So there's kind of this push and this pull in that conversation. And so what we want to do today is kind of talk through both sides of that. And what does it look like? What does God say about the earth and creation and the environment? Uh, Should we care about that? And what's kind of the different theological places you can arrive at? And how do you arrive there? Is that legitimate? And uh, kind of where the middle is on the spectrum of far right and far left and, you know, super wooby-wooby tree hugger to burn it all down because it doesn't matter anyways.
0: Mm. (laughs) Sorry, I'm still caught up on your phrase for the tree hugger. Um, The place that we start in scripture is Genesis and we go to the creation account because that is kind of the best place for us to look and see what is what should our view of the earth be. And the Bible is not talking about global warming. The Bible is not talking about renewable energy, because obviously none of that was an issue during the time that the Genesis account was written. But we can look to the Genesis account to see what is it that God said our relationship with the earth should be. And from that, we can then begin to answer the questions that we we have today and the issues that we have today. So in Genesis 1, uh, verse 27 to 30, is really where most theologians hang their hats on in regards to figuring out our relationship with the earth. So uh, verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So based on these verses that we've read, we can clearly see that as humans, we have been entrusted with the earth, we have been entrusted with it to rule over it and to subdue it. And that's clearly our role that God has given us as humans. And then, of course, the question becomes, what does it mean to rule and subdue? And that kind of turns into the conversation that we're having today.
1: Yeah. And so in that verse, God commands you know humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And a lot of times we take that to mean like procreation, like create more humans that then fill the earth. And that certainly is in there. But it also is this command to be fruitful and multiply in like what we create. Like God is the creator, big C, and then we are creators, small C. So be fruitful and multiply in in, in the way that we build society, in the things that we invent, in the way that we leverage natural resources in order to build something greater that's going to benefit more people. Be fruitful and multiply in all of those ways. And so the the question becomes how— do we ensure that we are using creation appropriately in that mandate Mm -hmm. because it's there to use, but we're also the stewards of that resource. Like we are the, the rulers of the earth, and yet the earth isn't ultimately ours. It is ultimately belonging to the God who created it. Right. But as the people who are created in his image, we are his representative in the world to take what he has created in its raw resources and then to create it into something even better. That's kind of the call of humanity, not just to
0: not just to exist within the creation, but there is leverage for us to be creative
1: yeah for the ourselves. purpose of of building and right. prospering and and multiplying like that like he created us with something of a blank canvas in the earth to to do that and so the question becomes like how do we balance our role as ruler who's been given dominion to use resources and steward mm-hmm. who is caring for the earth and there's kind of two different ways you can go and so the the first way you can kind of go and there's a, you know, a large swath of people that go this way, is that we shouldn't like hinder free enterprise. We shouldn't hinder the free market to try and save an earth that is disposable anyways.
0: Yeah, and this idea, it, it really comes from a number of things. One, if you view the earth as something that we've been given and it's going to end anyways— then it's disposable. Then we can just continue to use it in whatever ways we need it and we can take from it as much as we need and not have to worry about caring for it so much because, again, it's all going to end anyways and it's disposable to us and it's been given to us. And one phrase <laughs> that John MacArthur used is that it's a disposable planet and he did say it's all going to burn Anyways, and that's the idea of when the end comes, um, God's going to burn up the earth, anyways.
1: Yeah, and so basically, the idea is like <laughs> suck it dry of all its resources now because none of it really matters, and we're all gonna die, and it's all gonna burn, and so nobody should care about anything with regard to the environment.
0: Yeah, so there's that view that falls into here but there's also this idea of the earth is a tool for us to be used and yeah there are things wrong with the earth um, and it's not this perfect planet but people on in this view would say it's not us who ruined the earth like it's not because we are using it in wrong ways it's that god cursed the earth after the fall happened. So all of the issues and trouble you see with the earth is because of the curse that God put on it. And so it's God's responsibility to keep it here for us as long as it's supposed to be here for us. And it's not necessarily our role to care for it because we're not the ones who damaged it in the first place.
1: <laughs> that seems like a weird way to like try and gaslight God.
0: Yeah, when I <laughs> I heard a few sermons, I was thinking, oh, I don't, I don't know if I feel comfortable with the way all of that's being phrased. Um, but certainly, if you look into the Genesis account and it says God cursed the earth, on face value, I think you can take that reading. But I think there's a lot of other issues with viewing the earth as something that is just a tool and not something that we have actively been irresponsible with.
1: Yeah, and it's weird to put it all on God. Like, he's the one that cursed it. Well, like, why did he curse it? Because sin entered the world, and when we sinned, it corrupted us, it it corrupted our relationships, and our sin was so bad that it even corrupted creation itself. And so if we're about, you know, stepping into redemption, yes, that means repenting and turning to Jesus— But then it also means walking in kind of the renewal and the restoration of that. And so that includes, you know, in our own hearts, it includes in our relationships, and it also includes in the way that we care for creation. And so to put all of that on God seems strange. And like, and even like, it it kind of goes beyond that, even. I think especially if you're of the mind that like climate change is this hoax that was cooked up by, Darwinian evolutionists and it's being propagated by atheistic leftists and it's all just a big conspiracy and you can say that and say like well like God promised that he would never again flood the earth and and that includes you know making sure that the polar ice caps don't melt so like what are you even worried about like why are you sounding any alarms with climate change it's a hoax God's going to take care of us anyway so we can continue to pollute and use fossil fuels, you know, as much as we want. And it doesn't really matter because God's going to take care of us And then until he burns it all anyways. So there's no point in even trying.
0: Yeah, so that view removes all human interaction with the earth insofar as any damaging effects. So we're not responsible for anything negative coming out of it, and we're also not responsible for anything good coming out of it um, because... We are just supposed to use the earth. And that's one side within this view. But there's also a second side within this view that doesn't necessarily focus on the earth's just going to burn up anyways.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of, that's what we just described as more kind of like the populist view. Yeah. Whereas uh, I think what you are about to pivot towards, which, which is more the economic component to it is a a little bit more uh, nuanced and academic in its approach.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So the other view that um, I was kind of moving towards is this idea that capitalism really is the most moral form of economy that we can follow and to regulate the environment or to regulate the way that we interact with the earth is actually more harmful to our economy and it's more harmful to us as humans living in the earth than it is beneficial. And that we've seen um, really come out in this book called uh, The Virtues of Capitalism by Austin Hill and Scott Ray, where they argue The moral virtues of capitalism, as opposed to socialism.
1: Yeah, and so in that book, it's called "The Virtues of Capitalism." Uh, Ray and Hill they argue, I think, somewhat convincingly that Mm -hmm. the the best market is a free market, as opposed to more of a, a socialistic environment. And they're saying, well, look, like capitalism isn't fundamentally based on greed, like is kind of the the common assumption. It's based, you know, more on self interest. Uh, but it's also based on personal responsibility and personal freedoms to to build relationships of trust, to exchange goods and services, and that thereby generates wealth. Now, once you've generated wealth, now you've generated jobs, and it is the obligation of those who have wealth to care for those who do not have wealth. And so in this system that he's kind of talking about, he, he says that, it can't exist and it can't function in any kind of a healthy way unless the people within that system are moral people, are morally upright people, and they're not greedy people, which, I mean, no, that's that's tough there. because
0: I feel like that's an ideal greed system. Greed is
1: kind of a, an issue for us yeah. as human beings. But, you know, and he basically makes this case, uh, uh, Hill and Ray do make this case for kind of a, a, a biblical understanding of, you know, trickle-down. Economics, and I agree with them to a certain extent that I think capitalism, as full-on capitalism, is probably better than full-on socialism. But I think having capitalism as a a root or as the kind of template for your economy, and then adding in some more socialistic protections for the uh, the less advantaged, is probably a way to go. And I think probably Hill and Ray would agree with me in the abstract on that. It's just like how we would we would talk about what those might be and so if you're for a free market and as free a market as you can possibly have with no regulations then introducing regulations or anything that's going to cost or slow down the process of any kind of enterprise because you are adhering to regulations about how you're affecting the environment then that slows the economy creates less jobs it creates less wealth so that there's less generosity flowing from the top to the bottom. There's less jobs being created across the board and that hurts people. And so you want to minimize that as much as you can. And so that's kind of the framework that they're thinking in that, well, it's probably not good for us to enter into the Paris agreement because of the amount of money it costs. it'll cost, And we think it'll slow innovation and it'll actually hurt us economically. Uh, and when that hurts us economically, then that means a greater majority of our people are not going to be prospering. And so I think in that sense, there, there's a point to be made there. And I guess you'd have to get into like individual policies and right. and legislation to, I guess, hammer out all of those details.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly, it's a far more detailed than I think we're we even have time to get into. But these are just the overall arguments of why this side would suggest we don't really need to be concerned for the well-being of the earth and it comes out of either one it's disposable anyways or two the cost to care for it is too high in comparisons to caring for the people that exist within it um, but there is a second argument and that one is, certainly has some strong biblical cases that can be made And that is that we should be deeply concerned with the care of the earth and what we can do to protect and preserve it. And that's because we do see, again, some biblical cases that say the earth is not as disposable as some might think it is.
1: Yeah. So we tend to think when we're thinking about like earth now and heaven later, we tend to think in terms or have been taught to think in terms of incredible discontinuity, that it's going to be discontinuous. It's going to be completely one experience exchange for another. When you actually look at the New Testament, there's actually a lot of continuity between, say, earth now and heaven later or creation and the new creation. And Paul talks about this a lot in both of his letters, actually, to the church in Corinth. And there's this passage in 2 Corinthians where he talks about our our souls long to uh, not be unclothed, meaning that we don't want to cast off our physical form and and to just live as disembodied spirits, that that's fundamentally not what we were created for, but we want to be more fully clothed, that there's uh, something—we want to be better clothed in our physicality, in the, the material existence around us. And uh, Paul talks about this in First Corinthians fifteen that we will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. That there there's there's something that will fundamentally change about our physical creation, our physical bodies, but it will be us still. There'll be this continuity between the the former and the latter, and he ties that directly to Jesus's resurrection. So when Jesus went into the tomb and he resurrected he resurrected into the same body that he was born with right it was it was the same person it was the same you know physical matter there and yet it was transformed somehow into a glorious state that was completely made whole and was free from the brokenness of the fall And what happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. And even when you think about Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he ascended into heaven in that corporeal form, in that physical form, that physical body. And he is somewhere in the cosmos right now, located somewhere physically in that form, in that body. And so there's an incredible amount of continuity because he's going to return in that same body and then there's going to be a transformation of our bodies and of creation and so when you look at creation it's not just all going to it's not going to burn like a dumpster fire it's going to be it's going to <laughs> yeah. be like put into the crucible and purified and glorified and so if you think of it in in terms of continuity like that it's a game changer in terms of how you view creation not as something that's disposable but as something that it, it echoes into eternity what you do to it. As um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, w- what we do is not meaningless. That, that it's not in vain. And so th- that's why uh, we need to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because it's all meaningful. It's all going to mean something in eternity.
0: Right. And so if we understand that there is a bit more continuity between this life and our eternal life, and not only for us as humans, but even for our earth and for this world, because there will be a new creation. And a lot of times I think people think we're just going to exist in heaven for eternity, but we won't. We will actually be brought into the new creation, which is earth. It's it's this redemption earth Earth 2.0 yeah this redeeming of the earth and it being in its glorified state in the same way that our our bodies will become this glorified state and so to understand the earth as disposable would drive that continued narrative that there's um a hard stopping point between this life and eternal life. And it, I don't think we see that in the New Testament. We see, like Dale said, a bit more continuity between it. And so that means we might want to care for our earth with the thought that it's not going to burn up one day, that we should take care of it because it's going to be around a little bit longer than we had originally thought.
1: Yeah, and there's even, I think it's interesting, I mean, it, it kind of sort of relates uh, where, I don't I don't know if you've ever read what John Piper has written on uh, cremation, how he doesn't believe that we should be cremated when we die. And I don't necessarily agree with it. But what he says is basically that um, it essentially desecrates the body that God through Jesus is going to resurrect into a new glory. And so I I don't think Mm. he—he definitely wouldn't say that you can't be resurrected if your body's (laughs) been— Cremated. Sorry, but what he's saying is that in in terms of giving respect to the body that God created and is going to recreate, like it's not advisable to cremate your body after after you died. And I, I wouldn't agree with him on that necessarily. I think it's fine to be cremated. That's a probably a whole different different podcast. But what I do agree with is the line of thought that he has, which is that there's continuity from this physical earth to the next one where everything is is recreated.
0: Yeah, and I think we can get into some trouble if we begin to go down that path a little too deep in terms of if we begin to care for the earth at the cost of caring for others, then that's a problem. So if caring for the earth becomes our God, like if we truly believe there is this mother nature uh, and that we need to care for her, That becomes an issue because you're now placing deity on earth itself, which it was never meant to have because it was created by the creator.
1: Right. And the earth is like not a person. No. It's it's not personified in any way. It's It's not. It's still just a thing.
0: Right. And so to understand there is a balance between caring for it and worshiping it, we need to make sure that we don't run too far down that path of caring for it that we now begin to worship it and think we must care for it at all costs regardless of everything else in our efforts to care for it.
1: Right. And so I think that the way to keep that in balance is to frame it in terms of loving your neighbor. And your neighbor might be a person who's living today, but your neighbor might be someone who's four generations down the road that yeah we can make short-sighted decisions on hey this is going to be better for our economy if we just like let pollution go and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter but that's short-sighted in that four generations from now we don't know how uh, poor decisions that we make now will negatively affect those in the future I mean long after we're gone but i think as we steward the earth and then we pass that stewardship up on to another generation we're obligated to at least think about that and now do we completely obliterate economies uh, and go back to, you know, using only hand tools and mm-hmm. horse and buggy and things like that. No, I, I think absolutely not. There's some there's some kind of balance there. But we, at least I think, are obligated to think long term and to believe that Jesus can come back at any moment. But to plan as though it might be a while. And so three, right. four, five, six generations down the road, are we making de- uh, decisions that are going to benefit those people? Or that they're going to have to try and undo or suffer consequences from?
0: Yeah, and I think to completely disregard both sides is a bit foolish, because if you're only caring about economy, then you you actually do hurt your neighbor in a different way. So if we don't care about how clean our water is, if we don't care about the way that we care um, pollute our water, then you are hurting your neighbor somewhere else, like just because you're not the one drinking that dirty water doesn't mean someone else isn't or someone else isn't now struggling to figure out how to get clean water because you have relatively clean water coming out of your faucet. And that's the issue too is we forget how the decisions we make for the sake of economy also ruin our environment And in turn, that does affect other humans. It affects other lives.
1: Right. Like if you pollute a natural environment and it destroys an ecosystem, there are other people that were relying on that ecosystem for some other resource for them. And now that has been removed from them. And so thinking thinking broader, thinking longer term, I think it is where you begin to make wiser decisions Mm -hmm. where you're looking at the here and now and the long term. And I think, too, as Christians, like, this is an important thing. I also think the danger that that some Christians might fall into is that w- we might accidentally, like, make it a main thing. And it's not yeah. the main thing. Yeah. It's an important thing Should think about it. But it's, it's not just think about it. Do stuff about it. But it's not the main thing.
0: Right. Because the eternal condition of the people around us is what's most important. And that should be. And everything else really feels a bit short-sighted, right? So even our economy a bit, if someone's going to hell, but we made sure that they had money in their bank account, like that's a bit of a problem. Or the other end, you know, we made sure they had clean water, but their souls are being damned to hell and that's an issue too. So we have to be able to weigh all of that and it's not as cut and dry, I think, as a lot of the conversations Are making it to be because I've certainly heard some sermons that just are like it doesn't matter global warming's not happening it doesn't exist climate change isn't a thing so why do we care anyways but I think that's making it way too black and white or on the other end you know we just need to preserve our earth again is way too black and white
1: yeah so what are some personal ways that we can get involved in helping preserve the planet for the sake of other people
0: I mean, I think just a lot of the common things that we've been hearing about and have become more aware of based on people advocating for caring for our environment is just recycle. Don't waste water. Don't waste food. Buy what you can.
1: Don't let the water run when you're brushing your teeth. teeth.
0: Yeah. You know, every time I brush my teeth, and I sometimes let the water run, I always think of that. Yeah, I always think of that picture that – it, I guess it's actually a video of somebody letting coffee just spill onto the ground out of a container. Like, you know, you leave the spout open and the coffee's just pouring out. <laughs> it's like, you wouldn't let this happen. So then, and it's then it balance. moves over to a picture of a faucet. And like, so then why do you let this happen? And anytime I leave the faucet on, I always think, Ah, oh, I wouldn't do that to coffee. Like, why do I do it to water? <laughs> so... <laughs> Whoever made that advertisement, you did a great job at convicting me. Um, yeah, so I think that we just, we just need to be more mindful of what we're doing. And also, we should care about voting for legislation um, that cares about the environment. And I know it's not always a benefit just because it cares for the environment, and it might be too great of a cost to the economy. So again, there's that balance. But we just need to become more mindful and realize that as individuals, We play a small part.
1: Yeah. And I think even just um, getting behind personalities that at least are thinking about this in a way like and kind of really curtail the whole climate change is a hoax kind of conversation. Because, I mean, even if you don't believe in climate change, you don't think global warming is is real. It's all a hoax. I feel like it's still important to move away from that conversation and on to solutions of renewable energy, of uh, reduce, reuse, recycle, of sustainable living. Because if it is not a hoax and we are not doing any of those things, then it's going to harm us greatly in Mm. future generations. And if it is a hoax, it doesn't do us a whole lot of harm to take better care of the earth. Like there's not... There's not a great loss there to do that. And so, right. I mean, that's just the way I'll, I like to think about it because it's not a bad thing to take care of creation. It's not a bad thing to take care of the earth, to reduce pollution, right. to increase air quality, to make sure that there's increased water quality. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's it's just pretty simple, like the, the right thing to do in situations. And so um, I think that's that's a mindset to have.
0: Yeah, and so remember, this is a really complicated topic and there's a lot of nuance and especially when it comes to legislation, like there's a lot of trickling effects there that you can't just say it's a good idea because it cares for the earth or say it's a good idea because it cares for economy. Uh, There's just a lot of nuance that it's helpful if we're well-researched and well-read, but we do need to know that at the end of the day, (laughs) just because it's complicated, That doesn't lead us to inaction. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast.
1: If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week.
0: Also be sure to head over to our website, herandhim.com, and you can get show notes for this episode, read our blogs, and other helpful resources.
1: We'd also love to hear from you, so you can email us at herandhimblog at gmail.com.
0: Thanks again, and we will see you next time.